Folks, if you would, take your Bibles, find the book of Romans chapter 8. This is not what I had planned on, uh, on preaching on tonight. But sometimes things change. This morning we looked at a passage of Scripture that dealt with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Overflowing with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. After uh, the service, I had a, a couple of folks ask some questions of me. And I've said this before, anytime that somebody asks questions, there's probably a half a dozen or more people that would like to ask a question or the same question, but they don't. Now, because of that, and because of the fact that I am not just a preacher, but a pastor, my heart's desire is for my church family to grow and to mature. Now, for that to happen, we have to understand certain parts of God's Word without question. We have to grasp certain things, and one of those things is the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Now, because of that, God kind of laid it on my heart this morning, a couple of questions that were asked, and they were honest questions, you know. Sometimes, uh, if you work with, with people, or you work in public relations, or whatever, you may get asked questions that you're like, are you kidding me? Seriously? But no, the questions people asked this morning were serious questions. Folks, and uh, after thinking about it uh, today on the way home and, and uh, praying about it when I got home, uh, God said, yeah, I want you to do this. Now, in your Bible, you may have it marked in Romans 8 that Brother Jim's preached from there several times, and that's fine. I, I know I have since I've been here. I've told you that's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. I believe that every Christian ought to have a good grasp of Romans chapter 8. It's a high watermark of theology. It's a high watermark of biblical revelation and also of Christian doctrine. To understand uh, as a believer uh, the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, we need to understand Romans chapter 8. Now we're going to start reading in verse 5. And I want to read from verse 5 all the way to verse 15. And tonight I'm going to be using the ESV translation because I, I want it to be just as clear as I possibly can. I want you to look at verse 5 with me. Romans 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now I want you to listen to the words that Paul is saying. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's a very important verse. You, however, and he's talking to Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him... It's talking about the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now notice... Paul doesn't say if you live according to the flesh, you're headed toward death or you might die. Paul makes it real clear. Again, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds, or the King James says mortify the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or children of God. Father, tonight I pray this passage would become very clear to us that we would grasp the great doctrine and the truth that's being taught here, the working of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would not be distracted, that we would listen closely to what you're saying. And I pray you give me the strength of mind and voice that I need. And as always, uh, Father, I pray that you are glorified and Christ is exalted. In his name, amen. Now, folks, I told you, and I've said this many times, there is no greater chapter, theologically speaking, in the Bible than Romans chapter 8. Without question, it's a great chapter, a great theological chapter. And one of the reasons it is, is because it leads us from salvation to glorification. It tells us how we're saved, how we're sanctified, but also this chapter tells us how we're secure. And the theme of this entire chapter is the Holy Spirit. Now the reason I say that is because the Holy Spirit is mentioned one time in the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. The Holy Spirit is mentioned near 20 times here in chapter 8 alone. So the entire theme, again, of Romans chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, folks, is to a believer what uh, God, the Creator, is to this physical world. What I mean by that is this. If God did not create this world, there would be no world, right? God's the Creator. Well, the Holy Spirit, likewise, without the Holy Spirit, folks, we would not be saved. You say, why do you say that? I didn't. Paul says that. And we're going to look at that. In a real sense, Romans chapter 8, it is a commentary on 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, where Paul tells us that in Christ, a Christian, we are a new creation in Christ. We're a new creature in Christ. So what he's saying is we have been given a new Lord. Well, Paul makes that comment, basically the same thing, in Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're given a new Lord because of this new life. Not only are we given a new Lord, we're given a new law. Verse 2 of Romans 8, Paul tells us, uh, he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free or made me free from the law of sin and death. So as a result of this, the result that we have a new Lord and we have a new law, look again at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So because as believers, we have a new Lord, we have a new law, no longer are we subject to sin, and the law of sin and death was set free because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And because we have a new Lord in Jesus Christ, then verse 5 speaks volumes. We live according not to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now this new life, folks, revolves around the Holy Spirit. It revolves around the life of the Spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, when you're back in school, they used to teach us the, the three R's, right? Reading, writing, arithmetic. Well, tonight we got the four R's uh, involving the Holy Spirit. We're going to go back to school again here in Romans 8. And the four R's, you may want to write them down. Here they are. Regeneration, redemption, resurrection, and revelation. That speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. You say, preacher, I think that I've got this written in my Bible. I think you have preached over this before. 
I guarantee you we studied over it when we went through the book of Romans on Wednesday nights. And let me say this though, folks. Do you not think there are, that God's Word uh, should be studied more than once? <laughs> Do you not think that we all ought to pay attention to certain things in God's Word and certain doctrine that's taught in God's Word? Out of sheer repetition, we might pick up a little more than we would just hear it at one time. And besides that, let me ask you a question. Out of the 650 to 700 sermons you have heard me preach up to this point as your pastor, can you name one point out of each one of those sermons? Can you name any points? <laughs> what I'm wanting you to get is this, folks. There are things that, and Paul does this regular in his writings, there are things that need to be repeated in God's Word. And this is one of them. I think every Christian ought to read Romans 8, especially the passage we're reading tonight. They ought to do it on a regular basis to remind them just what we have in the working of the Holy Spirit as believers in Christ. Now, <clears throat> regeneration, redemption, resurrection, and revelation. So that's number one. Let's talk about the regeneration of the Spirit. Now, in God's eyes, and you've heard me say this before, there are only two kinds of people in the world. And I think you understand that. There are those that are lost and those that are saved. Those who are in the dark and those who are in the light. Those who are in Christ and those who are in Adam. And Paul puts it this way. Those who walk and live according to the flesh and those who walk and live according to the Spirit. Now I remind you of that because the difference of these two kinds of people is absolute. Now what I mean by that is there are only these two kinds of people in the world. Not three, but two. People might say, well, I don't fit into that category. I don't walk after the flesh or the Spirit. Yes, you do. You walk after one or the other. Now, having said that, I will explain. There are degrees of people in both categories. Now, there are many people who are not saved, but they live clean. They live highly uh, moral, ethical lives. And on the other hand, there are those who are saved who really don't mind the things of God, and they're not really living for God the way they should. But let me tell you this, regardless of where you are, folks, on the ladder of life, you're either ascending upward toward heaven on the ladder of the Spirit, or you're descending downward toward hell on the ladder of the flesh. Either you belong to God, or you don't. That's just plain and simple. Now, a person may be in the Spirit, but living in the flesh. Uh, you can do a lot of things in the flesh. I think I talked about this last Sunday morning. You can preach a sermon in the flesh. You can teach Sunday school in the flesh. You can sing in the flesh. You can tithe your money in the flesh. Folks, you can, you can do a lot of things in the flesh. And here's the problem we get as churchy folks so many times. We get the idea that when we talk about the flesh, uh, that simply means, you know, flesh. Oh, that's going out to nightclubs, carousing, partying, drinking, or being hooked on drugs or pornography or whatever it is. Understand, friend, anything that is not led by the Spirit and in submission to the Spirit of God is of the flesh. Now, this needs to be very clear in our minds. And I want you to get this and get this well. You cannot make the flesh better. It's impossible. I mean, a lot of people try to do that. How many people do you think actually... Make the New Year's resolution. New Year's happened not long ago, a few weeks ago. How many people on average you think make a New Year's resolution that they're going to live better lives and going to be better people? It's impossible. 
The flesh cannot be spiritualized. The flesh is to be crucified. The flesh cannot be made better. There's no need to try to spiritualize it. Now, I made that comment. I'm going to say it again. The flesh, folks, it's not to be spiritualized, but crucified. So what are you talking about? Look at Romans 6, 6. Paul makes it clear. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, talking about our old man, old sinful man, sinful life was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed or done away with or made null and void, if you have a new modern translation, that we would no longer be slaves or servants to sin. Folks, <coughs> it's an important thing for us to remember. And I don't think I've ever told you this before. I apologize. I should have. <coughs> but I didn't have it written in my notes, so I don't know if I've ever told you or shared this with you before. But when Paul speaks of sin in any of his writings, when Paul speaks of sin in a Christian life, he is always careful to identify that sin with the outer body, not the inner spirit. Alright, now you may want to write that down. Paul, he always identifies sin in the Christian's life with the outer man, the outer body, not the inward spirit. You say, why is that important? Well, listen, a believer's flesh is not redeemed. When we give our heart to Christ, uh, when I come to Christ, in my flesh, I'm not redeemed. Uh, if I was redeemed in the flesh, then I would have been perfect when I come to Christ. Some of y'all been around me for some time. I'm not perfect, am I? I got news for you. Neither you. None of us are perfect. All right? And here's the thing about it, folks. Uh, I know I'm not perfect, and I believe you probably know that you're not perfect as well. Our flesh is not redeemed. My flesh is crucified. Okay? Not redeemed, but it's put to death with Christ. Now, if something is put to death, does it hold any sway over you? Or let me ask it: should it hold sway over you? Not at all. If you got a bully, that bully's picked on you for years and years and years, but that bully dies, do you still need to be scared of him? Do you still need to cow down when he comes around? Of course not. Been put to death. Your old life, Christian, of sin, you need to understand this, it's been put to death. It no longer holds sway over you. We're no longer slaves to sin. If we sin, it's not because we have to. Let's be honest. It's because we want to. Alright? <coughs> but, folks, there are those who live, Paul says, according to the flesh. That is, uh, when I say according to the flesh, that means the flesh dominates every part of their life. And I want you to notice verse 5. We see the direction of the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In other words, these people uh, who live according to the flesh, folks, there are people always thinking about how they can gratify their flesh, how they can satisfy the lust of their heart. It may be sexual lust. It may be uh, greed. It may be uh, that financial lust or, or fame or, or the lust for power or popularity. But they solely uh, live on the level of self-gratification. The question that people who live according to the flesh, the question is always, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? It's a self-centered attitude. But then we're shown the destruction of the flesh. Look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded, it's talking about being fleshly minded. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now I'm going to say it again. 
It's an important thing to notice. Paul doesn't say that the mind set on the flesh leads to death. He makes it real clear. He says the mind on the flesh is death. And let me explain to you. A person who is not saved is already dead spiritually. Do you agree with that? Amen. Had one person, I need to say it one more time. Folks, listen to me. A person who does not know Jesus Christ, they're dead spiritually. Because listen, that's why we have new life in Christ. If all we needed was to be cured from being sick, we wouldn't need new life, would we? We need health. That's not what we need. A dead man don't need health. A dead man needs life. And Christ gives new life. So a person outside of Christ, and we need to grasp this concept, a person who is not saved, they're dead in their trespassing and sin. Dead spiritually. And what I want you to grasp when Paul makes this comment in verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, he's not stating a spiritual consequence, he's stating a spiritual condition. You see, a man's not spiritually dead because he sets his mind on things of the flesh. A man sets his mind on things of the flesh because he's already spiritually dead. Now, I've asked this before, but do you know why a lost person acts like a lost person? Because they're a lost person. There you go. A person who doesn't know the Lord is not going to be condemned. Understand, they are condemned already. They live under the sentence of condemnation. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 18, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who believes not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, if you want to understand the kind of mindset and mentality that Paul's talking about, that he's describing in verses 5 and 6, when he speaks of the flesh or the carnal-minded nature, then I want you to do something. Write down one word, Next to this passage of Scripture in your Bible, one word in capital letters, and it will show you the mindset that Paul's talking about. That one word is Hollywood. Hollywood. Write it down right there in that passage. Folks, 98 or 99% of what you see in a, on a movie screen and the movies that come out of Hollywood, they result because of the flesh. They are motivated by the flesh, meant to appeal to the flesh, meant to inflame the lust and desires of the flesh. Those movies are meant to make you think fleshly, carnally, and in a worldly manner. I mean, think about it. I can prove my point. Why do you think that Hollywood turns out movies that defile the Lord Jesus Christ? That degrade preachers of the gospel and debase anything that has to do with Christianity? Folks, it's simple. It's because there's a war raging between the flesh and the Spirit. Now Paul talks about this in Galatians 5, verse 17. He says, For the, lust, uh, for the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, the only way, and we need to understand this, Christian, that's, that's why I preach so much, and so hard about being led by the Spirit and about surrendering your all to Jesus Christ and being led and be surrendered to the Spirit of God. Because that war is raging and the only way you'll ever win the war against the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. That's it. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, 
The regeneration of the Spirit, folks. As believers, we no longer live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now the second thing, the redemption of the Spirit. Look at verse 9. <coughs> verse 9, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now to be in the Spirit... Folks, that doesn't mean that you're going to be sinlessly perfect. We, we know this. I've talked about this before. There's no such thing as a sinless or perfect Christian, and be glad there's not, because if there was, you couldn't stand to be around them. Okay? None of us are perfect. None of us are without that sin. But listen, according to what verse 9 says, to be in the Spirit simply means the Spirit is in you. Notice what it says. However, uh, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. You see how it works together, folks? Paul, in uh, verse 1, he speaks of the saint being in the Savior here in Romans 8, verse 1. But look down in verse 10. Now he speaks of the Savior being in the saint. He says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit's life because of righteousness. Now, let me explain to you. The saint and the Savior, that denotes our position. Verse 1 does. Our position. But then verse 10, the Savior and the saint, that denotes our possession in Christ. Now, the flesh can be in you without you being in the flesh. You see, when, when you're saved... I'm going to say it again. You don't turn over a new leaf. You get a new life. You get the new life by receiving the Holy Spirit. And this is so important to understand. When you're saved, you immediately receive the Holy Spirit. When you're converted at that moment, the Holy Spirit moves into your heart and life and takes up residence. The word dwell, look at verse 9, that word dwell. It literally means to make yourself at home. That is exactly what the Spirit of God does. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. He sets up His house and makes your heart His home. That's right here at this point, and I kind of hit on this a little this morning, that some of our Pentecostal or charismatic friends make a great error in judgment. They also make a great error in scriptural interpretation. There are those who talk about the second blessing, and they speak of the need for Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. Now folks, the, the fact of the matter is this. If you've never received the Holy Spirit, you don't need a second blessing because friend, you ain't never got in on the first blessing. As a matter of fact, and again, I talked a little bit about this this, this this morning. Do you know what the second blessing is? I mean, in reality, in reality, the second blessing is learning all that you got in the first blessing when you come to Christ. Just learning all that you have. Let me give you three words. And always write these words down if you want to. They'll always help you remember, folks. And you'll never be confused about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, how the Spirit works in your life as a child of God. The first word is the word person. I encourage you to write that word down. Always remember that the Holy Spirit is not an it, not a thing. It's a Him. The Holy Spirit is a person, a real person, as much a person as God the Father and God the Son. And we're given clue after clue after clue in the Word of God that the Holy Spirit has the characteristics of personhood. For instance, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, He teaches, He guides, He comforts, He disciplines. He can be grieved, He can be quenched, He can be lied to, He can be tested, He can be resisted, He can be blasphemed. 
The Holy Spirit is called God. He's called Lord. He's called the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Father. The Spirit of the Son. The Spirit of Jesus. The Comforter. The Spirit of Christ. The Advocate. So the first word that you need to write down to remember about the working of the Holy Spirit is the word person. The second word I want you to write down, folks, is the word possession. Now every Christian possesses the Holy Spirit. And you have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get the moment that you're saved. The Holy Spirit, and I'm going to make this clear, is not given in pieces. He's not paid down in installments. When you come to Christ, you get all the Holy Spirit, and He comes into your life at that moment of conversion. Now the next word. Third word is that of position. So you get person, possession, and position. The Holy Spirit uh, now may not always have the preeminent position in your life that He ought to have, and that's where the problem comes in in a Christian's life. That's the reason that we, uh, as Christians at time, we don't live the life that God's called us to live. Because the Holy Spirit is not in the preeminent place in our life, we're in the preeminent place in our life. And you know what? Anytime that we're leading our own lives, and we, you know, the story, you have your life in your own hands, that's a bad place to have it. Anytime you're the one calling the shots, your life's in trouble, I promise you. So, position. So the question I, I, I've asked you, and I've, I want to ask you tonight, and I've asked you many times is, not do you have all the Holy Spirit. You know you already have all the Holy Spirit when you were saved. So the question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Again, that's where the problem lies. Now we're told in verse 10, notice it says, if the Spirit of man, it's the Spirit of man that's redeemed. Okay, not the body, but the Spirit. Now my Spirit's saved, my body's not saved. Just like your body's not saved. I mean, my body still gets sick. It still gets tired. still gets hungry and thirsty. My body's aging every day. My body's dying every day. Matter of fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16 that the outward man is perishing, but the inward man, the inward man, the man of the Spirit, is being renewed day by day. But understand, there's going to come a day that this body will be redeemed, folks. It's going to be redeemed. It's going to be something greater than I could ever explain or express to you. And that leads me to the third point. The resurrection of the Spirit. Look at verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There is a day that's coming when this body, folks, uh, and your body, if you're a believer, is going to be raised from the dead. It's going to be fully redeemed. Look, drop down to verse 23 of chapter 8. It says, And not only they, but we also who had the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now folks, the reason, another reason I love Romans 8 so much, there are three great theological words that are used and explained here in the book of Romans. The first word is the word justification. Uh, Paul mainly uh, deals with the topic of justification in the first five chapters of the book of Romans. In chapter 6, Paul deals with sanctification. That, uh, of course, how we come to live a pure and a holy life. And then here in Romans chapter 8, Paul deals, he goes on and deals with the subject of glorification. So those three, very, three, three, I said four, three very important words. They generally speaking, folks, they deal with our past, our present, and our future as children of God. Now, here Paul's primarily dealing with the resurrection. So he's dealing with the future. And the same Holy Spirit that raised the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, now if you're a believer, 
Led by the Spirit, <coughs> that Spirit indwells you. And therefore, you can rest assured that one day your body too is going to be raised from the dead, just like Christ was raised from the dead. Now, this is a great mystery. And I don't know all the ins and outs and details of it, and neither did the Apostle Paul because he called it a great mystery. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I mean, I don't understand how this body is going to be raised. I'm really not for sure what kind of body we're going to have and what it will be, uh, but it's going to be a glorified body. But you know what? I'm not concerned about that, folks. I figure God's got that in hand. He's got it taken care of. I'm going to take Him at His word. Okay? I'm like that old black preacher. Uh, he, he had an intellectual atheist moved in next to him. And this intellectual professor atheist, he was constantly ribbing that old black, uneducated black preacher. And he was constantly trying to, to rib him about his faith and get him to doubt his faith so he'd want to start an argument with him all the time. And that, uh, that old black preacher, he just loved Jesus with all his heart. And he was, I mean, he was faithful uh, and studious to the Word of God. Well, one day this uh, intellectual professor had read in a scientific journal that uh, science, uh, science now, they believe that the basis of all created things or all things made that's in the universe is actually phosphorus. And he thought, I got that. I got that old man this time. I'll tie him in knots. So he saw that black preacher out in his yard. He went out to him, stood there at the fence. He said, hey, I got, I got something I want to talk to you about. He said, there's a real problem with your religion now, with your faith. The black preacher said, is that right? He said, yeah. He said, you tell me the Bible teaches that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Is that right? black man said, praise God, they're going to be. That intellectual said, well, I've been doing some studying. And they now have said that phosphorus is the basis of everything. And he said, so, if you can follow me on this, he's being real arrogant to this preacher, he said, if you can follow me on this, of all the millions or billions of people who have died in the world so far, he said, and those who will die in the future, he said, if there's a resurrection from the dead, how's there going to be enough phosphorus to go around and for those bodies to be made again? That preacher kind of looked at him and grinned. He said, oh, I don't worry about stuff like that. He said, there's going to be a resurrection. He said, and the Bible says that we believers, we're going to rise first. And he said, I figure there's enough phosphorus for us to go around. Y'all that's left and rise up later, you can scratch around the ground for yourself. <laughs> Folks, that's kind of the way I am. I believe in the resurrection. The Bible teaches there's going to be a resurrection. Paul makes it real plain, again right here, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I'm a firm believer in the resurrection. I ain't looking for a grave. I'm looking for the resurrection. <clears throat> But also, folks, there's the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, redemption, resurrection. But also, I want you to see verses 12 and 13, revelation of the Spirit. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death or mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, folks, we're reminded here again that we're not to be limping in the flesh, we're to be leaping in the Spirit. But not only are we to live in the Spirit and, and, and be overjoyed in the Spirit and love in the Spirit, we're to be led by the Spirit. Because look at verse 14. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or children of God. We're to be led by the Spirit, not lost in the flesh, Christian, but led by the Spirit. The Spirit leads us, folks, by leading our spirit. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 27, says the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. You know, many people get the impression that the Spirit of God, and I kind of hit on this a little this morning too, that the Spirit of God leads us by feelings. You know, we, uh, and I want you to listen real close to me on this, okay? We think we ought to do something, we feel good about it, then we go ahead and do it. Well, let me be very clear on this and very frank with you. That's a very poor way to live your life because the devil can manipulate feelings. Very poor way to live your life. I've had people come into my office and, and uh, I, I've told you similar situations like this. They come in, come in and say, you know, uh, I had a guy tell me one time, I believe God's telling me to leave my wife for another woman and I feel good about it. Folks, listen, I knew good and well the Spirit of God was not leading in that direction. How many times I told you God is not going to contradict His Word? The Holy Spirit does not lead the mind. And we need to grasp this. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead the mind. He does not lead the emotions. He leads the Spirit. Because the same Spirit that's leading, if you're a child of God, is to be the Spirit that is indwelling you. So how can the Holy Spirit lie to Himself and lead opposite of Himself? That's impossible. We're not led by our mind and emotions, led by the Spirit. Over and over and over, we're guaranteed the Spirit of God will lead us as children of God. The Bible says, and everybody knows this passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, He shall direct your paths. David said, Psalm 25, 4 and 5, Show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you're the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Then again in verse 9 of Psalm 25, he says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. The psalmist of old in Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. And then I want you to listen to Isaiah 48.16.17. Come near to me, hear this. I've not spoken in secret. Now pay attention. He said, I've not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Now I read all those verses because the fact of the matter is, we're told that the Spirit's leading will be clear. We'll know it. It'll be continuous. The Spirit of God will lead us if we'll be submissive to His leadership. And it, folks, it'll be conspicuous. He'll lead us in a fashion that we'll know in a crystal clear way what it is that we're supposed to do. You know, a lot of people say, well, I just don't know which direction the Spirit's leading. Now, I've been there before, but it wasn't because, it wasn't because I couldn't discern the direction the Spirit was leading. It's because the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to be patient and wait. I haven't told you yet. So be patient. When I tell you, you will know. Now, Christian, I want you... Hear me, hear me well. God will lead you by His Holy Spirit. He will lead you and He will make it clear. 
if you seek His will. If you seek Him and His direction, His leadership, it'll be clear. I think I've used this illustration before. Uh, you know, I love my kids and, and, and I, I love them to death, all of them. But say one of them comes to me and they say, Dad, I want you to know you are the wisest dad there is. I love you with all my heart. You know far more than I do. You tell me what direction I should go here and I will do it. Now do you think I would tell that child, okay, I'll tell you, but you've got to guess what it is. Do you think I'd tell them that? Or you'd think I'd say, all right, baby, let me tell you exactly what you need to do. And I'm going to be clear and I'm going to be to the point with them. Why? Because I love them. Now, as much as I love my kids, do you not think Almighty God loves us even greater and far greater than we could ever love our children? So you thank God if we come to Him and seek His face, seek His will, seek His direction, do you think He's going to say, no, you got to figure it out on your own? Now, I'm going to tell you, He may say, you need to be patient. You need to wait on me, wait in my timing. When I'm ready, and when I believe you're ready, I'll tell you which direction you should go. I promise you, it happens every time. There's been times in my life when I, I was not for sure a decision that I need to make. I was not for sure, like going from one church to another. I really wasn't for sure. And I thought, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. God said, no, it's not. No, it's not. And because, in spite of my ignorance, God says, that's all right. You just be patient. Wait on me. I'll let you know when. Now, I've talked about coming here before. Do you realize uh, when I came here as your pastor, there was no hesitation? There was no questioning about it. See, I knew I was coming here as your pastor before I ever sent a resume in. I wouldn't have sent a resume unless I knew it. And when Aud called me on the phone and we visited, and I come and preached and things like that worked out, folks, that was just confirmation. Yeah, I'm listening to what God's telling me to do. I knew it. I knew it in my heart. And I'm going to be honest with you. When Marcia and the girls and I pulled up in the parking lot, I'm sorry, I'm backwards, out pulled up in the parking lot out there, the first time I ever set foot on this property, in my spirit, God said, Son, this is where you're coming. Get stuff packed. When we pulled off, Marcia said, What do you think? I said, Baby, you need to start making arrangements. Let's get the house up for sale, let's get things in order. This is where God's leading us. You say it's impossible. How could you know that? No, it's not impossible. If you seek God's will and God's way and His leadership with your whole heart, I'm going to tell you something, friend. He will tell you what direction you should go, what you should do. God loves you that much. Our problem is we either want to get in a hurry and do it for ourselves, or we're afraid of where He might lead us. Now, I want you to listen, listen real good. I'm fixing to close here. Anywhere God leads you, if your heart is surrendered to Him, you're going to be excited, you're going to be happy to go. Because you're following where God, through the Holy Spirit, is leading. Christian, ain't no better way to live your life. I promise you. No better way to live than to follow the Spirit's leadership. You know... Let's look at verse 14 one more time. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but the mark of a child of God, according to verse 14, is when you're led by the Spirit of God. 
So you know what this verse tells me? This verse tells me this is a great assurance of salvation. You ever thought about that? If you're a child of God, God is going to lead you. You know, sometimes people come and express that to me. They say, well, you know, preacher, i got doubts about my salvation. Listen, it's not unusual for Christians to doubt at times. I think we've all been through that. But a good way to test whether or not you've been saved is answer this question. Folks, have you ever sensed God's leading in your life? And I just told you about the time He led in my life. A time in your life when you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, God led me to do this or to do that. Well, if that's true, then listen again to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So has God led you? You know beyond any doubt, God was leading me in this direction. Well, thank God, folks. Verse 14 is assurance of salvation then. And thank God that it's the Spirit Himself. Look at verse 16 and I'll be done. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, so I, I want to ask you just a couple of questions. One, are you living according to the flesh? Or are you living according to the Spirit? Is your mind set on the things of the flesh and things of the world? Or is your mind set on the things of the Spirit? <clears throat> Look at verse 5 again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then verse 6, and I'll be through. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Christian, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't seem to have peace in your life, where's your mind set? On things of the Spirit or on things of the flesh? You bow your heads, please.